I want to share with you today. I'll say I want to share something simple. <laughs> um, yeah. In this sense that I'm just going to treat you as Sunday school children, and I'm going to tell you a story. Um, that is how, yeah, that is how everything began for me. And um, I still enjoy telling a story. When, when I read the scripture, um, sometimes as in this case, only two, three verses, and, and I jump into the middle of that and I inhale it. I, I use all my senses to feel what was happening at that time. And it begins to open up and you, you realize there's a lot more to these Bible stories than first meets the eye. And so let me read what the scripture says um, in Matthew chapter 8. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. And so he's giving us a very first-hand account of what happened. He was there. And so I'm sure he could have written a lot more than this being there but he might have taken up all 28 chapters just talking about this if it had told us everything that happened that day. And so he doesn't. He's very succinct. It says, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, that is, he had just delivered what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the people are all excited, the great multitude hailing him as the, the new word from God, some are daring even to say, could it be the Messiah? So it says he came down from the mountains, great multitudes followed him. The side of the mountain is almost black with people, like ants, and they're all coming down, coming down uh, from the mountain. And then, and behold, that word we don't use much in English anymore. It's one of those old English words, behold, um, and it's got in it, you almost have to put an exclamation point there. You just can't say behold. It, it means sort of wow. Um, it means stop in your tracks. It means it took my breath away. Behold, did you see that? That's about as excited as Matthew gets. It says, behold, a leper came to him. Now, that is a story all by itself. A leper came to him, Jesus, and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And stretching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing. That is, in the Greek language, something we can't put into English. We, we only have the ability to sound it. Um, and so that would be, oh, of course I'm willing. It's emphatic in the Greek. And, and Jesus is absolutely dismissing the possibility that he wouldn't be willing. It's the only time in the New Testament anyone asks of God if it be your will. Um, I don't know what religion would do with that today, because most of what they say is, if it be your will. But um, it's the only time Jesus was addressed in that fashion, 
and he comes back with emphatic, of course, you, Lord, if, 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 if you are willing, you can make me clean. Stretching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, now there's another word, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. (laughs) You try that one. But go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses prescribed for a testimony to them. Okay, it's all over. Uh, Try Luke. Now, Luke is different. He certainly wasn't a disciple. He came in later, and he made a promise in the first verses of his book that he's going to interview everybody that he talks about. He said, I'm not going to have any hearsay or secondhand. I'm going to get this from the horse's mouth. And so, well, it's the same, but it's got those tweaks that you know that, that this man really interrogated this man that we're talking about before he wrote about him. And also, inter- very interesting, Luke uh, was a doctor, and you'll find all through his uh, books, uh, Luke and Acts, there's references that only a doctor would make. Um, and so hear what Dr. Luke has to say in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, here it is again, there was a man, now this is Dr. Luke, he didn't say a man who had, he said a man full of leprosy. He said he had the most advanced symptoms. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. He ordered no one to tell, but go show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But of course, the news about him was spreading even further, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Okay, that's the story as recorded in in the Scripture. Jesus coming down from the mountain, having delivered the Sermon of All Sermons, and the crowd is swarming him as he comes down. And so they're, they're behind him, but around him it gets thicker. They're seeing if he should stop and do something. They want to be there to see it. And as it happens, a leper approached the crowd. Now, um, let me introduce it by saying, um, I have spent time with lepers. When I was in Africa, I went to leper colonies and shared the good news with them. And... um, that you never forget. I can still see that congregation. And um, in India, they don't even have leper colonies. 
the the lepers are there on the street, and especially if they see an American, they will come and press themselves to you to get money. Um, and having seen it, I'm not altogether speaking out of a book. I've seen this. Um, leprosy, it's, it still is one of the most dreaded diseases. Here in, in, the, in the West, we don't have it very, very much. It's a disease of certain peoples and certain countries. And it begins with a sore. Um, you might come home from work and there, there is a sore, red sore on your hand. And it doesn't bother you, but it's looking at you. And it begins to grow and grow. And it has white edges. And you begin to think this is getting serious. And you go to the doctor and you hear the worst news you'll ever hear in your life that this is the first stage of leprosy. It's, it's a sore that spreads throughout your entire body. And wherever it goes, there are ulcers um, and boils so that the face becomes a little mountain range of swollen boils all over your face, which are, are going to explode and there'll be pus running down your cheeks. Um, it covers the whole body. But at, at the worst, the whole, if, if you kind of say leprosy, the very worst thing of leprosy is that it is a disease of the nerves. This every, Nerves, everything else that I've just said are side effects, really. It's nerves. All feeling is gone. Leprosy takes away your feeling. And therefore, you cannot experience pain. Now, some people might think that would be marvelous. But if you get into leprosy, you'll thank God for pain. Because you think of all the times when you just hit your hand or maybe... A flame came across your hand. And, oh, that hurt. Oh, thank God for, thank God for pain. I, I knew I've done something that's hurt my body because a leper would put his hand in the fire without realizing it while the fire just burned away his hand and he wouldn't feel a thing. And therefore you see lepers and they are grotesquely mutilated. They have lost, most of them have lost their fingers because that's where we touch things, and that's the first to go. And so when I was in that leper colony, it was the most tragic to have a congregation of people who would raise their hands toward you, which is their way of saying thank you for coming, uh, but there's no fingers. The, the fingers have been uh, torn away in a simple accident to us, but it's death to them. And and I won't go any worse than this, but you, when they sleep at night, especially in the countries I've mentioned, um, the rats come and eat their fingers, and, and they have no way of knowing it till the morning. Um, and so um, that, as I say, the gradual loss of all feeling, that's the defining of a leper. Um, limbs um, fall off. And the leopard doesn't know that he's even been hurt. He has no feeling. 
Uh, you could say that a leper is in a state of decay um, while he's alive. His body is decaying. Pieces are falling away from him, and he doesn't know it. Um, they can be his extremities, his feet especially, his hands especially, can be burned, um, and he doesn't know he's being burned. Um, or it, right to the extreme that he could have a part of his hand or foot cut off and he wouldn't know it except become aware that there's blood and that must be my blood, but I, there's no pain. And, and so um, I, I want to emphasize that. There's no, no feeling. Um, there's no realization of what's going on. So he becomes deformed in the most hideous way. You see, you see a person and they have lost part of their cheek. It is for whatever reason, sometime there, there was the problem and he didn't know about it and the cheek just gradually was eaten away, burned away, whatever. And, and so you will see a person, grotesque, uh, you can see their teeth. Uh, there's, no, there's no cheeks, they've gone. And he, he stretches out his hand and there's no fingers, it's, it's gone. Um, uh, grotesque sores, oozing with pus as the body is rotting and, and in, in decay. And, of course, that's happening on the inside as well as on the outside. So you don't know what's happening. We get a pain, an inner, inner pain, and we know something's wrong. A leper doesn't feel the pain. And there's, there's, there's no way of knowing something's wrong. And so inside and outside, this, this is what is happening. You could say he, he is the walking dead. That is how they were addressed, the walking dead. Um, flies, of course, are swarming over the, because of, of the, the rotting flesh that he is. And Luke notes he was full of leprosy, which means he's in the most advanced stages this has gone to every part of his body, and um, he won't be here for very long. It's just going to take him. Um, now, this has a, a, a social effect that I really don't need to talk about, but I want to, to emphasize what was happening in these three verses that almost you could pass over, um, the drastic social effect I mean, he looks like a monster. No question, literally. He, he's monstrous, a zombie. Um, and everyone, for good reason, is afraid of the disease. And so they're terrified of this person. And the first thing that the authorities do is put you under a gentle medical arrest. Uh, and they take you out of your family take you out of your job, out of your village, and they put you outside in the wilderness where there's no people and there's only wild animals and they don't want you around. Uh, you can't come where there's crowds of people. In fact, um, just stay, stay there for a minute, that from the minute you know you have leprosy, you will never be touched again. Think about that. You will be put under arrest, taken where no one can get to you, as if anyone would want to, and, and there you will never be touched. You will never be hugged again. Mm -hmm. 
never. You will never be kissed again. And no one will ever issue an invitation to come and eat with us. You are out. You are unwanted. Um, and, of course, there was this fear of lepers, still is to this day, that um, if you have too much contact with a leper, you're going to catch the disease. Um, when I, as I say, was in some of the leper camps, um, you looked at those missionaries that literally, literally had given up their life to go and minister to the lepers because you know sooner or later they're going to get it. it take, you can't catch it in a minute. It takes a period of time. And so as they are with them, they know they're going to catch the disease, which is part of their preaching the gospel because the lepers know that. And they know this person is... <laughs> They've come to live with us. and um, But normal people, uh, they're terrified of the leper. So if you're, if you're in society, people are running away from you. There's that look on their face that they've had a curse on their life today. I've met a leper. I turn and I run. Uh, children were terrified at the sight. You, you, you think of your little kids and they come upon a person with only half a face. Um, they're, t they're terrified of what they see. A person who has a hand but no fingers. Um, terrified. So a leper was, <clears throat> if he came anywhere near people, had to keep a minimum of 15 feet away from them. It, it was um, a guess, of course, so they, it was probably more than 15 feet to make sure they kept the limit. But no leper was near people, and he had to make sure of it by shouting. Now, one of the things, which I don't understand the origin, but one of the things with a leopard, it goes for the vocal cords. And so the, the leper has a rasping voice, a voice that is immediately connected with leprosy. And in that terrible rasping voice he shouts as much as his vocal cords will allow him to say unclean unclean get out of my way i'm unclean i'm a leper he has to wear a mask but they they had to wear clothes that were torn and disheveled make sure you look like the zombie it's let to stand out don't don't think you can sneak among us. You've got to wear dirty, torn clothes so we'll recognize you straight away. You, you've got to come. And, of course, they shuffled because can you think things, when you're walking, especially in the near Middle East where there's no shoes, and so you're, you're walking for the most part barefoot on sand and rocks, rocks, and no feeling in your feet, you're going to rapidly destroy your feet. And so no pain, but you can't do with your feet what you used to do. And so the leper shuffles. He's already, that's one of the first signs. He can't walk straight. He's shuffling in his disheveled. He's not allowed to comb his hair. And so his hair is disheveled, his torn clothes, and the terrible voice that says, I'm an unclean, I'm unclean, stay away from me. And so, leper, you get the picture already, don't you? Um, 
he he did really run over this quickly. Of course, in, in his day, when he wrote that, everybody knew what a leper was. Nobody needed to hear what I've just said to you. And, and so um, I guess that's okay just to say a leper and everyone would know what he's talking about. But here is a human being, a genuine human being, full of leprosy. He's the walking dead. And he's a man that only knows absolute rejection from every other human being, beginning with his family. His family is the most afraid of all, because how long has he had this living with us? And who, who's caught it? Who's going to be next? And so they're only too thankful to say, get out of here. And you're not welcome back here. Unclean, unclean. That is all that the people could say. Um, it, it was um, maybe the worst of all. They were not allowed into the temple, not allowed into the synagogue, which whatever that was was looked upon as simply keep the disease out of here. But to the leper, it meant that God takes the same position as the people. <clears throat> God doesn't want me in his house either, you know. God is nauseated by by the sight of me. God doesn't want me there when other people gather to worship, exclude him. He's, he's not in, in, not wanted there. And so um, it's this ban across his life. Um, I, I would say he, he had a self-loathing. You know, he... There were no mirrors to speak of that he could look at in the wilderness, but he was well aware of what he looked like. Look in a pool of water, you soon see. And so he's a horror. Can, can you can you take it? He he's a horror to himself, and and he's the first one to say, "How could anybody ever want me? How could anybody ever care or love me?" He's, he's a, a person that's unwanted, and in his mind, he's unwanted by God. That God is as nauseated with me as everyone else, and I hate myself, and I wish for death. I wish for death. That was one prayer request when the sick were called, and the person with leprosy came forward for prayer. But their prayer request was, pray that I'll die tonight. Um, that that was their only hope. The exit from this nightmare was death. Do you know there's only three people in the Old Testament that were healed of leprosy? Um, there is these elaborate chapters in in Leviticus that says when a leper comes, he has to come to the priest and the priest examines him to say you're clean. And I... I mean, you read those verses and verses and verses. Only three people in the entire Old Testament were healed of leprosy. One of them was Moses. When Moses, if you remember, he has his interview with God and God shows him he can do the impossible. And Moses is suddenly full of leprosy. And then God heals him. They say, I can do anything. Um, Miriam contracted leprosy that was healed. 
And then, of course, the one that stands out as famous, Naaman, um, dip in Jordan seven times. But that's it. And Naaman didn't have to go to the priest because he came from Syria. So it's only the, those chapters in Leviticus have only been used twice. And, of course, the first one, Moses hadn't written them yet. So only once. Do you realize, and I want you to hear this, that it was a firmly held belief, though it's not scripture, but it's believed by all of the rabbis, that the Messiah, when Messiah came, you would know it's the Messiah because he could heal leprosy. Yeah, come on. I wonder when this leper goes to the priest to be declared cleansed, what did that priest think? Especially after this, because once one leper was healed, they came, and, and it says he healed lepers. It's in the plural now, and they're coming from everywhere. And they walk, he always says, go to the priest, go to the priest. Um, let it be a testimony. A testimony of what? Who did this to you? What what happened? Oh, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus. <laughs> Could it be? Perish the thought. Uh, the, the poor wretch stays alive by begging because he can't work, can't earn money, and so he relied on compassionate people who would leave food within the 15 feet uh, range. And and that, of course, not too many people had compassion. Now, I'll, I'll quit talking about the leper. Um, I could carry on, but I think you've got the picture. There's one word that, one word, one word that, defines a leper, and that is separated. In his own mind, and to all what you see, he was separated from God. That's what it looked like. He's separated. He's certainly separated from everyone who once loved him, but they can't stand the sight of him anymore. He's separated from everyone that's within his village. He's separated from himself. He loathes himself. He's separated. Separated, that's, you go to bed with that. No one wants me alive. I'm not waking up to someone with a cup of coffee. I'm a walking dead. I might as well be in a coffin. I am separated from God, from all humans, from my own rotting flesh. Now, someone... Someone, somehow, let this leper know of Jesus. And I, I don't know how, and I don't want to put too much supposing. He did have the 15 feet limit, and so he could have come to where Jesus was speaking and it'd be on, not on the edge of the crowd, just beyond the edge of the crowd. And the crowd would make sure that was a big gap. And he could hear what Jesus was saying. He could have been, along with other lepers, 
on the hills around where Jesus was speaking and could see as he healed the sick. Could. I don't know how a person like that could ever hear in any kind of detail of Jesus, but he did somehow. But he's never seen a leper healed. Now think about that. People brought to Jesus every kind of sickness, and it says he healed them all. But this guy has never never seen a leper healed. That's going to come later after he's healed. He's he's the first one, you could say. <laughs> it gets more hopeless. Because to begin with, Jesus is the one that gives hope. He heals the sick. He heals all that were sick, except we've never seen a leper get healed. Never seen it. But now, so that must have been bubbling inside of him for I don't know how long. That would give him the courage, the hope, to actually look to where Jesus is and go in that direction and see the crowd coming down the mountain and the cluster around that one at the front. He's already begun to shout, unclean, unclean. But as he comes closer, have you ever been in a situation where a crowd is surging forward and then they suddenly stop and it reverses itself? The crowd is going backwards and you could hear a whisper, it's loud, you could hear it at the front to the back, it's a leper, it's a leper, get out of here, it's a leper. Babies are crying, crowd backs away. And he stops, this grotesque monster. And he notices that Jesus isn't going with the crowd. He's going against the crowd. He keeps on walking toward the leper. As he comes closer, it, it says, and I don't know, I'll, I'll tell you, it doesn't really matter too much, um, it says, Luke says he worshipped him. Other, verse, other versions say that the, the leper fell on his face, which would suggest in some cultures worship. Um, the, the Hebrew people did not kneel when they prayed. They did not go through all the geriatrics that we go through, um, uh, everything uh, the way we worship God in the West is born in how you approached a king, a queen, or an emperor. You know the daftest things in England. You can't turn your back on the king or the queen. So if, when you leave, you leave backwards. Uh, well, that dribbled in through a church stinking with religion. And they forgot who God really was, and it fitted that you just fall on your face and beat yourself and say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. Um, the Hebrew people, did you remember from last week? He says, I've delivered you so that you might walk erect. 
That's the greatest gift of God. You stand erect and, and you will bow to nobody except him. But you, you walk erect. You, you've got an identity of yourself as a God-given gift, human, glorious, wonderful. That's me. Um, you walk erect. And so when they worshipped to this very day in the synagogue, they stand erect. They stand as God's people. We stand as those beloved of God, delivered from Egypt and so on. And so I don't know, and I've got to check on it one of these days, what the actual original language is, but I can't see him falling on his face. It doesn't fit the Hebrew people. I can't see him even kneeling, let alone prostrating. He would be standing, and he would put out his mutilated hands. And the act of, uh, what should I say, worship is in the face, that you look to God, and you'll, you'll, you'll find Jesus looked up to heaven. You never read of Jesus falling fat, flat before the Father. He, he looked up to the Father and was... That, that's the posture of the Hebrew people, standing and worshipping with your face. This man is his worship, so I say, and it is me, all the translations disagree with me, but that's okay. I, I, I say he stood and, and he held his broken hands out and looked to Jesus. And it, and it says... When he saw Jesus, now, now hold it, he's there in the first place because he saw Jesus. That's why he's there and he sees from a distance, this is where the crowd is and, and he sees Jesus standing apart. And So he's there because he saw Jesus. But now it says he saw Jesus. And because he saw Jesus, he spoke. Does that Does that make sense? Why once he say he saw Jesus? Because everybody else had fled for their lives. Everyone else was gone. And here is Jesus going against the crowd. And he's approaching this man. He got so close in a minute he's going to put his hands on him. Which means he came within the 15 feet barriers. And the leper can't believe what he's seeing. He wants to shout louder. I'm unclean. Don't you know there's 15 feet here? Instead, Jesus walks right through, I'm unclean, he walks right through everything that the man might say. And so the man says, now, if you want to, yikes, if you want to, I don't know if I would be bold enough to say that. I'd be afraid of what he would say. You know, serious. If you want to, you can. I know you can. I've been watching. I've been listening. I know that you can. You can make me whole, which is an expression that just means completely well. So he doesn't say you'll help me, you'll give me pain. You'll no. He he goes with the. He says, I know you can make me whole and normal. 
human being. I know you can if you want to. That's an amazing statement. He didn't think that up on a moment. He didn't have the attitude, well, I'll go and see if he's there and we'll have a chat. Um, he has been meditating. He's imagined this moment over and over and over again. Every word he's going to say. So the whole man's life is in this, if you want to. Because no one else on the planet wants to. Are you different? Do you want to? Because I know you can. No. Can you imagine the man? They don't sleep much at night. And in the daytime, what do you do with nothing to do? Except sit under a tree and think and imagine and wonder. I mean, get inside the man's head. No one's ever been cured of leprosy. I mean, come on, three people in the entire Old Testament. What are you doing sitting here even considering going to Jesus? Are you nuts? Am I, the man must say, am I mad? Has the disease got into my brain? A leper? And I haven't got long to live? A leper and you're crazy enough to say you're going to go to Jesus and even broach the subject of healing? I'm not worthy. Lepers have lost all their worst. I'm crazy thinking like this, let alone going to ask. If, if, he brushes away all the flies around his head. He tries to imagine, can you imagine I don't remember what it was like to be whole? And, and to... Remember what he's seen as he's seen from wherever he was perching to, to see Jesus do. And, but then that if. It all hung on the if. I know he can. That's not the issue. If. If you want to. The very fact he said that would be some sort of proof that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. In his brain, he's, he's got that much. You could, you could. I couldn't say that of any other human being on the planet, but I know you can, which means I know you're the Messiah, the one who would heal lepers when he comes. But then... Is Messiah any different from anybody else? I mean, yeah, okay, he's Messiah. But is he going to reject me too? I mean, why not? I don't have any proof of anything. Even animals are afraid of me. What's the difference with the Messiah? The temple won't let me in. Doesn't he represent the temple? Doesn't he represent the synagogue? 
Why? Why should he? But then, maybe no leper has ever had the courage to get close to him. Maybe I'm the first. Maybe no one's ever asked him before. Maybe I would be the first and... Could it be? Could it be? Lay on your bed and imagine, is it possible that God in this man loves me enough to exercise the power that I know he has? Is it possible? No one's allowed to touch me. No one's allowed to get near me. I'm asking him to do what he's not allowed to do. He made the mistake that I'd say 99% of people today still make. They separate the love of God from the power of God. I know you can, but do you want to? For me? You love, but me? You care, but me? I've heard that a million times. God loves everybody. I know that. It's a fact. Except there's one exception. He doesn't love me. Not like that. Not like that. It says he healed all that were sick, except me. So he hesitates. He can do it, but I don't know if he wants to do it. I've heard enough from what he did to everybody else, but does it apply to me? And this this is not, as I say, it's 99% of people today is where, where, is where we are at. Uh, and it's, it's not... <laughs> It's not only lepers. It can be any brick wall that you slam into in your life. It can be any area of emotions. It can be any area of your physical. It can be any area of your social. It can be anything in life. We come up to this. I know God's the answer. That's, you know, you're preaching to the choir. I know that. But... I know the power of Jesus is unlimited. But is his care so unlimited? Is his compassion so unlimited that he comes to me to reach me, this disgusting person that I know that I really am? See, if... If Jesus was like every priest in the temple, if he was like every rabbi, every pastor, every holy man, or every believing Jew, the whole thing would be over in a few minutes. Get out of here. Maybe a stone in your back would help you on your way.
I, I traveled the world with, you might have heard this story, so I'll be quick with it, but I traveled the world with with a, a guy. His name was Gene Lilly. Um, he was almost born in a wheelchair, not quite, but as a, in his eight, nine, ten, he had extreme diabetes. Then he contracted um, multiple sclerosis, and he was a mess. He'd never really been outside his house except in a wheelchair and never heard the gospel, for sure. And he didn't have much longer to live. The diabetes was coming to a termination point. The MS had cramped his back so that he would have spasms that he had no control and he would come almost in half. And the next time they said, he's going to snap your spinal cord. So they're going to take his spinal cord out to make sure it doesn't get snapped. And the surgery was in a few weeks' time. And he flipped through the channels of the TV and came to Pat Robertson 700 Club. And he didn't hear much of that either. But enough that Pat prayed the prayer and Gene prayed the prayer. And he said he, he, he met Jesus to the point where I've got, I've got to know more. And 700 Club said he needed a Bible. So he goes, gets a Bible in his wheelchair. Begins to read and he comes to Mark 16. And it said, these signs shall follow those who believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He'd never heard that before. And his reaction was, then if I can find a believer and have them lay their hands on me, I can get out of this chair and I'll be healed. It was as simple as that to him. He'd said it. I can't see why not. So the next Sunday, he wheels himself into the local Methodist church. In the foyer, he questions the people, are you a believer? And of course, they said, yes. He said, then please, would you put your hands on me and God will heal me and I'll get out of this chair. They fled from him as if he was a leper. <laughs> so it was crazy. He went to every church in his neighborhood in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Some churches had advertised that they prayed for the sick. But when he wheeled himself in and said, are you a believer? Would you put your hands on me? They ran away too. The pastor in one such church said he should just come for a few weeks to the service and get acclimated. And he decided there were no believers in Fort Lauderdale. And then there was a big sign that came across Main Street that in the downtown auditorium there would be a crusade. And there it said plainly, healing of the sick. Jesus will heal you. And he said, I found one believer. Whoever put that up there is a believer. And so he, it was one of the charismatic people of those, you know, the 60s. And um, 
So he had his wife. Uh, she had to get another person. We got to get him out of his chair. He's a dead weight. He can't. His legs have been dead for years. And they come to the steps, way like a pyramid in front of them, to the the city auditorium. It was before the days when they had to put in wheelchair access. And so his wife on one side, his friend on the other, they literally drag him like a sack of potatoes up the steps, his feet bouncing from one step to the other. And they finally get him to the auditorium. And they drag him down the aisle and just drop him into one of the chairs and sit beside him. The meeting was almost over by this time. And um, the woman, who was one of those lady evangelists of that day, um, and she had been dealing with blocks of sickness, so everything to do with joints and that, and they would come and she would... And, and there she's closing. As they put him down, they're closing. She said, well, is there anybody else? Have we just missed somebody? So the wife jumps up and says, he's here, he's here. And she said, come on up. And so again, two people drag him and hold him in front of her. And she said, what's the matter with you? And he said, I, I've got terminal diabetes, MS, and I'm dying. And she said... She said, what a miracle this is going to be. <laughs> this, I think, I'm thinking of the leper. You know, drag this sack of potatoes. What, is there any point in this? <laughs> what a miracle this is going to be. She put out her hand. And he lifted, levitation, call it what you want, he lifted out of the hold of his wife and friend and he went through the air and he landed on his back. He said for the first time he felt a weight on his legs, his pants. He said he'd never had feeling in his legs. He felt all these clothes and he jumped up, ran around the building. Yeah, it was in every newspaper in Florida. And then we went around the world together. It's, that's, that's what I'm meeting here. I'm inside this little. If, do you have enough love for that? Is, is, is your, does your love only deal with the regular daily stuff? Or do you, do you care for somebody like me? If, if he's unlike every human being I have met, if he cares, if he has enough love to extend what he can do to me, 
This, this, this is a desperate man. He took his entire life such as it was. But it's all wrapped up in this one sentence. This is it. Remember, he's risking everything. Jesus could push him away. And everybody would applaud that. At this moment, the crowd way back there is wondering whatever Jesus is doing. And if he had been angry with the man, if he had rejected him, the crowd would say that's why he got so close to tell him to get away. But all the evidence this man had is he'd never heard nor ever seen Jesus reject anybody. And anyway, Jesus may shout and tell me to get lost, demand I leave, tell me to go back to my filth. Well, that's my life now. So what have I got to lose? And so all that to explain what those little sentences were going on. He threw all his timidity, all of his embarrassment, every caution that was now built into him, threw it to the wind. And he shuffles to where Jesus is standing. The crowd is safe long in the background uh, even the wind can't bring the smell of this man to them they've gone but Jesus is right there he hasn't gone with the crowd he's walking against the fleeing crowd and so it says he saw Jesus he saw him for the first time it's the way he walked. You know, if you're going to approach a leper, even if you're full of charity and philanthropy, you watch it. Be careful. You don't approach a leper the same way as you approach anybody in this room. And you're not being cruel or unkind. You're just, well, you're just, you, you just don't do it. There's that certain reticence. There's that certain pullback. But Jesus is walking toward him. Just like love walks without any fear. His arms outstretched toward him. His eyes carry no disgust. In fact, they're dancing with excitement. He's delighted to see him. It's his pleasure. It's as if I've come to give you every favor you ask for. I've been waiting for you. I found you. Father told me I'd meet you. I found you. Into that world of darkness that was the only world he knew, Jesus came, the gentle light of love. There's suddenly light in his darkness, totally beyond imagination that this is happening. 
the, the dead, rotten flesh, the walking death, yes, and life has just walked right into it. It's not going to be long, just a few months, and he's going to be announcing to a dead man, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, here's a walking dead, and he felt, he felt, he saw this Jesus come right into his filth. And his action was saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus came into the leper's darkness. He's now face to face with the almighty compassion of Jesus. See, love is not the same as sympathy. Sympathy really is is quite a useless thing. It says, "I, I know how you feel. We'll pray for you. A lot of good that does, isn't it? Know how you feel. I'm so sorry to hear what's happened to you. No, that's not love. I suppose it's a step in the right direction for a person who doesn't know what to do. But love is the very being of God. The being of God relentlessly moving into our lives. And in that darkness that we call home, he reveals himself. He's the light who shows us reality. He's the power that is resurrection. He is. He is life. He doesn't have life. He is life. And that life transforms everything he touches. And he brings it into line with God's own reality, which is wholeness and health and joy and peace. Just just let me quickly show you, because so many people miss it. When I was active with the charismatic movement, the... The key phrase, and with the Assemblies of God before that, the key phrase was, we need the power. We need the power. Go to the prayer meetings, you know. Give us the power of God. I'll never forget when I saw this. We don't need the power of God. We know God can do anything he wants. Jesus never operated out of power. Let me read a few verses. I'll try to be quick. Matthew, no, I'll keep it to Matthew. Matthew 9.35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, and seeing the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So he did his healing and he did his teaching because he was moved with compassion, not because he had the power. The amplified version of that verse says, when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity 
for them because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, helpless. That's what the Greek word means there. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew 20 gives the story of two blind men sitting by the roadside. They said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them, told them to shut up. They shouted all the louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Jesus stopped and called them. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. I read this one a moment ago, but this is from another translation of the Scripture which gets to the very heart of what a word means. It's in Matthew 9 again. Seeing the crowds, he felt deep feelings, tender affection, compassion about them, was affected in the inward parts of his body, encircling the crowd with his emotions, because they were people having been skinned, flayed and lacerated, harried and troubled and hurled down and tossed out like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus described the religion of the Pharisees. He said, when the Pharisees are done with these people, they've been skinned. They've been flayed, lacerated. I mean, the very skin has been torn off you by religion. You're hurting more than hurt can define itself. So harried and troubled, they'd hurled you down and trodden on you, tossed you out, told you you're no good. That's Jesus' definition of religion. And every time it was compassion, compassion, compassion. Jesus, you do it if you want to. You see, the compassion, the love of God is not something separate from his power. Think about this for a week. This is, you've got to hear. It, it isn't that God can do it, will he? Nor is it, will he, but can he? They're simultaneous. To the point where you could rightly say the one is the other. If God is love, then all he can do is yours. And if he can, there is nothing in heaven or hell or earth that is going to stop him. Because his love is more than all of that. Think about that. Isaiah 42 summed it up and said, describing him, a bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. What's a bruised reed? Well, the kids went down to the puddles and ponds, uh, and there were reeds that were growing there, hollow reeds, and they would break them off, and with, with some object they would make holes in it, and it would become a pipe. They would blow a sort of flute, 
And, um, well, in that process, you can imagine, you, you break it off the wrong way, and the, the whole reed is bruised, it's broken. And Well, what do they do? They toss it away, for goodness sake. There's a whole bank filled with these growing, where, where this one came from, there's plenty more, throw this one away. Dimly burning wick. That was the woman's job in a house. Your your candles were sources of olive oil. So you had a saucer and it's full of olive oil and you would put a, a taper into it, a wick, and it would suck up the olive oil and it would burn. And it would burn and burn and burn and burn as long as there was olive oil in the, in the saucer. Well, you know how it is, ladies. Woman's work is never done. Who remembers olive oil in a saucer? until you go to light the lamps at night and you find there was no olive oil last time. And so what happened? The wick got burned. And now it's just a dimly burning embarrassment. What do you do? Flustered, embarrassed, you take that stupid wick and throw it out the window and you've got another boxful under the sink. Put another, fill it out with olive oil and hope no one saw. That's what's behind that verse. Jesus comes and you're a broken, bruised reed. You're finished. Everybody with common sense knows you're done. Throw you away. There's plenty more where you came from. Not with this Jesus. Mm. <sighs> a bruised reed. He will not break. A dimly burning wick does not go out of his window. He will not extinguish it. In fact, this is a room full of broken reeds and stinking wicks. That's <laughs> the way it is. And how does he do that? With a sigh? Not you again. Oh, grief. No, the Lord your God is in the midst of victorious war. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet, no condemnation. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The Amplified of that says, The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a Savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins, not even recall them to mind. He will exalt over you with singing. And if I could have Jesus himself tell me what happened with that leper, turn to Luke 15. And he says, I went looking for my lamb. And I came home, I found my lamb, and I shouted, Rejoice with me! I found my lamb. Yeah, I'd sure it was a trip into the wilderness to find that lamb. Do you realize Jesus broke the laws of purity? They're all the way through the Gospels, but it's, really it stands out with the leper. The the Pharisees said that if if a sinner comes into the place and I brush up against him, then I have you know you've got 
his disease of sin, and you have to deal with it drastically. And certainly with the leper, they said, if you touch a leper, by accident, of course, nobody in their right mind would plan to, but if you accidentally touched a leper, then you are now what was called ceremonially unclean. You're not fit for society. And so, I'm sorry, but you've got to go into the wilderness for a period of so many days until it sort of wears off. That's how they looked at it. The same thing, if you touch the dead body, you're unclean. There's a whole list of stuff they went through. What are you going to do with Jesus? He came, and it wasn't an accident. He put out his hand and touched. That was a defiant, not an accident. He planned it. He put out his hand and touched the leper. He broke the law. Well, of course, he actually reversed the law because with the coming of Jesus, when we touch the unclean, they're cleansed. Come on. It's reversed. It isn't that they make me dirty, it's I make them clean. Amen. Jesus didn't catch leprosy, the leper caught life. And what are you going to do? It's a total reverse. I want to, he says. I want to. How could you think otherwise? Or you could say that I'd be, I'd be delighted to. But just a minute. It says he touched, the, he put out his hand and touched the leper. How did he do that? Because remember, the leper has no feeling. So if he just puts his hand on their head, they, he wouldn't feel that. You ever thought of that? And actually, at the end of Luke 4, there's a bunch of those little statements that Jesus healed everybody and so on. And he says, he healed them every one. And the real meaning of the Greek there is, he healed them one by one by one. When did he sleep? You know, he says the whole village was gathered and he healed them. One. Jesus didn't do the religious thing. Bang, 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 bang. How did he? I don't really know. Did he cradle that ulcerated face in his hands? Did he put his arms around that stinking body? That it was a physical act that the, didn't need nerve endings to feel. That the, the leper would know he's being drawn to Jesus. That was the leper's first healing. Jesus, by that act, whatever it was, was saying, you are wanted. You are beloved. 
You have a place. Your home is here. You have identity. You're a child of God. Jesus is the word of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the breath of the Father. And the word of the Father in the breath of the Father was saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, welcome you home. Jesus walked into, right into the ultimate separation and declared it null and void. In fact, if you do not see this, then you're the one living in separation. Because this circle is a minuscule kingdom of God. The second healing, which was hard on the heels of the first one, was the disease. Now, I, I don't know. I can't imagine this, not really. The second healing was that all the sores and the ulcers, the pus and the missing flesh and fingers, left the leper. And they came upon Jesus. There was a great exchange here. All the missing parts of the leper's body came from Jesus to him. You know how quickly we read it. He was cleansed. Next. What? He was cleansed? What took place? That this man is having feeling we had not had feeling for as long as he could remember. And he's now feeling pain. Oh, blessed pain. Thank you. (laughs) But as quickly the pain leaves and is replaced by peace and joy in all of his cells. The body that was rotting, dying, is now alive, is vibrant, is excited to live. Those hands of Jesus, God was caressing the leper in creative love that called forth flesh, organs into being like it was the day of creation. His eyebrows, which incidentally I didn't mention, but they're first to go. Eyebrows begin to grow again. Hair. His flesh, smooth, comes like a little child. The people are watching as Jesus raises a man from living death. And he's standing there looking at his body. He's got fingers. Hardly know what, remember what to do with them. Clench my fist and I've got fingers. And I'm wiggling my toes. 
So the redeemed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What's happening here? And then I'll finish. It happens in every healing. How did Jesus heal? Because we go around saying in the name of Jesus. Well, how did Jesus, how does Jesus heal? Just after the healing of the leper, Matthew says, you know, this kind of could be a bit far out, what I've just said. So he said in verse 17, this was to fulfill. It was spoken through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. How did Jesus heal people? He took their sickness. He embraced their diseases. I would say for a split second, because when disease got into Jesus, it meant life. And the disease couldn't exist. And in that same moment, he is giving his life in exchange for the disease. Yeah. Because that news spread through Israel like a forest fire. (laughs) Every hopeless sick room, every leper, every broken human, if... If he healed the leper. That's it. He wills and desires to heal every human being. But be sure you don't tell anyone. (laughs) Father, thank you. The words we speak are true story. We thank you that you still, Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you are that same Jesus inside of us. Grant us the gift of your compassion. Let us see people as you see them. And let us see you in the fullness of who you are. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.